Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm a sports nutritionist and an exercise physiologist, and I'm a bodybuilder. This is Robert Fortress Fortney. I'm a former editor at Muscle International, former competitive bodybuilder, and current competitive powerlifter strength trainer. This is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, owner of Strength Guild Topeka, founder of StrengthGuild.com, liftforhope.org, and I'm currently a svelte uh, powerlifter and Highland Games athlete. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How's felt? Uh, uh, 240 now. So I'm down almost 20 pounds. Oh, you're coming down into my range here soon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going lower than 230. So How, you're, you're almost at the point where you're going to have to buy some glittery thong, a glittery pair of thongs. Ooh, I know. Yeah. I know. Easy now. I'll just send that to you, Rob. <laughs> That'll be between me and you, baby. Hot dog. Fantastic. Rob, <laughs> Rob you have to- Fantastic. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's definitely move so on. You, you've got some news, Rob, right? Well, I mean, just just uh, you know, for those out there who are interested in such things, I assume there are, at least is a mild interest amongst our listeners. Um, the Mr. Olympia is being held this uh, weekend coming up. So, uh, you know, and, and I, I know, uh, Lonnie, you share kind of my your mem- the same memories of you know when you were young. You know, inspired weight trainer, and you used to. Do you remember Lonnie? You used to always have those uh, the weeder hotlines and stuff. You can call and find out the results. Oh yeah, weeder hotline. Yeah, before that you was know. even yeah before web, before the mid '90s when oh. the web was real big. Yeah. Way before the web, like even in the '80s, I remember they had the line that you could call. Um, you know, and uh, for, for a lot, you know, like two ninety nine or whatever, like that, they would give you the instant results from the Olympia. So right, people were that eager, and they would yeah. pay. They'd pay oh. to find out. Oh, I, I did. <laughs> so, yeah, but um, you know, and, and even though you know I've switched over to powerlifting, there's there's you know that that's kind of my my uh, heritage. So you know, it, it's it's hard for me not to at least give a modest crap about what's going on with that because yeah, you know, like I said, it, it's it's so near and dear to you know my 15 year old self and all that kind of thing. Um, Interestingly, for me, I, I the amateur circuit became more and more interesting to me the the more mature i sort of got in my lifting career you know mm-hmm. early on it's all it was always about the uh the mr olympia comp- competitors you know but uh yes yeah, so i've lost track kind of to be honest with you know who's big and who's competing i think you're actually more up on that than i am rob yeah well i mean the big names this year are of course you know returning what is he, five years six years in a row uh Jay Cutler, I think five years he's won, so this would be his six if he wins. Again, I, I believe could be wrong. I think it's he's got five so far, and of course uh, Dexter Jackson, who took it from Jay a couple years ago, and then it went until Jay took it back. Um, that's a big name, of course. Um, the other big names, of course, would be uh, um, Kai Green, yeah, who's uh, kind of you know been kind of a shining star for several years now. Phil Heath. Um, who really is is quite good. Um, I don't know what kind of other names. I, I mean, obviously, Branch Warren was considered one of the, um, you know, the the favorites to come out in in the top, you know, top five to ten. But he injured himself a couple years, uh, a couple weeks ago. He was, I don't know, doing any guest posing or something. He slipped on uh, some concrete, getting into a car, and tore his quad up or something. I don't know. Um, Dennis Wolf, Germany. Those would, those would be the big names, I, I would say. But, I mean, there's a lot of competitors. I mean, the, the list I have has 30 people. Yeah. What yeah, do you know so about – didn't Kai Green recently show up at an event and just annihilate everybody? Apparently, he spanked everybody. Well, he's, he's uh, you know, he's one of those guys that, um, you know, is kind of controversial because he's had some, you know, uh, <laughs> questionable past behaviors um, that, that came to light to the public and stuff like that. But he's one of those guys where when you watch his videos, you can't can't help but kind of like the guy. He's a well-spoken guy. Um, you know, he, he tends to 
be one of those guys that you kind of believe to actually like love what he's doing and training and stuff. Well, if he's uh, passionate and articulate, he's already head and shoulders above most of the other competitors, I would think. Yeah, I mean, he's you know, into our our kind of uh, more to, swinging to our kind of avenue. He's he's very strong, very strong. Um, he certainly packs a lot of muscle, so he's he's not. Uh, a twink by any means, but the interesting thing is, is also that they have the um, 202 pound showdown competition as well, um, which kind of harkens back, of course, to the year, you know, the Arnold years and so forth when they had the you know over 200 and under 200. And there's a, there's 23 guys on the list that I have competing in just that too. So, um, you know, and we were talking a little bit before we uh, start recording the show here, and you know, Lonnie and I and Phil were just discussing how. You know, there's so, there's so many different categories now at the Olympia. You know, you have the Miss Bikini Olympia, Miss, you know, the Fitness Olympia, Miss, and it seems like the Miss Olympia itself has kind of lost a lot of, I, and I know we've said this in the past, but it's kind of sad, you know. I mean, it's, it's almost like it's relegated to just the, the bottom of the hump. Like people don't even care anymore. People care more about the Miss Bikini Olympia than they do the Miss Olympia. Um, and of course, that's not slamming on female bodybuilders at all. Um, no, in, in a way, it's a shame. When I uh, competed up in uh, Fargo back in the spring, uh, there were rows and rows of girls in the different classes, and one female bodybuilder. Yeah, you know. So in a sense, my heart went out to her. Like you know, good for you. You know, just for having the guts to. To stay a purist, kind of go nuts about a comment like this. Well, I think so. There used to be a lot of attractive, more mainstream, stylish kinds of women, and and at least from the little bit that I've seen, and I haven't been comprehensively watching this stuff, but it just seems like the bodybuilding women are just more and more, um, I don't know. um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Raw, a little more beastly in the size category. Well, I think think the, the, the... well, if you could say it for for the bodybuilding standpoint, I, I think the problem is is that so many of the women that would have chosen to do the bodybuilding thing had there not been an option to do something like a fitness or you know something like that, um, those women that are doing that because let's be realistic. I mean, it's all but the most seriously hardcore women. Um, are not going to choose that avenue if they have something like a you know a fitness Olympia or something or you know that kind of avenue where they you know obviously they can become you know very lean and still muscular and athletic and right. that type of thing without you know because I mean as you, we were talking about also before the show I mean it becomes also a question of because I mean let's face it bodybuilding is subjective as it is you know um, and when you're trying to differentiate between differentiate between you know what's the difference between uh fitness uh figure bikini i mean it just you know it becomes so blurred like what are the parameters for each what's too much and is there such a thing as too much and you know what what's too lean what's too muscular what's too it just well i think you're hitting on something there that back in the day if you remember like probably starting with bev francis or right around there there was this question about how muscular should a woman be you know, right. and I think when they created those other categories, the fitness, the figure, then these are gradations of softness, if you will. But that opened yeah. the floodgates for the hardcore women, the bodybuilders, to be as outrageous as they want to be. I mean, I don't know. Do they still even have any kind of uh, suggestions or warnings for the women bodybuilders to be a little softer and not be, you know, so quote unquote male looking. Yeah, I don't. Or is know. it just wide open yeah. now? In the last few years, I certainly don't know. But I mean, over the years, there's always been these attempts by the IFBB and so forth to mandate a certain kind of trend or to push something in a trend. But and I don't. I mean, I certainly remember one, you know, a dozen years or so ago um, that I read about. And you know, but these things are never. You know, they they try, but then, but then some competitor that kind of, you know, bucks what the standard is supposed to be, places higher. So again, all the women chase that again and before you know, you know what I mean? It only takes a year and all of a sudden that's all gone to shit it as well. So, you know, or it goes the opposite way, right? I mean, somebody who it's it's very tricky and and quite honestly um, I, I actually do feel for these women to be honest with you because it is specifically the bodybuilding women 
just as with a man who loves training and loves just getting huge. And uh, if a woman wants to do that, I mean, it's and then she's you know she's got the added anxiety and stress and um, pressure of trying to conform to something. Um, that's not nearly as you know pushed upon the men. Um, well, you know, and, but I see. A, I have a certain level of respect for the bodybuilding women because what they do, it seems so. You know, it's like why can't they be as hardcore as men? Well, no, you know? well, of course. And, you know what I mean? But at the same time, like uh, at one of the events that I was at in the spring, uh, my wife was talking to uh, a lady there who was a you know a family member of one of the competitors, and she was uninitiated and. And basically, it was, you know, who do you think is going to win in this lineup? And Kelly said, well, that one. And she said, well, what makes you so sure? She said, well, she's sticking her butt out the farthest. And <laughs> unfortunately, not, not among the women bodybuilders, but, you know, it was, the, I think, the bikini uh, group or maybe the fitness competitors. But that just doesn't seem to me as respectable as super hard training bodybuilding women that are t- taking this as seriously as the guys. Well, yeah, you know? and I mean, if you recall also when um – you know the, the fitness competitions were really kind of the new rage in the '90s. Um, all of a sudden, then you had the women who had the huge advantage because you'd get women like you know like a Monica Brand or something who had a huge background in gymnastics and so forth. Then they would come in and be winning all the shows because over some woman who might have had just as nice of a physique or body, but you know she didn't, she didn't have all the gymnastics to put into her routine, and then that was a whole. You know, worry of, of 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 you know compromises and people hurling things back and forth. So it's it's yeah. it's really difficult. And, and like I said, you gotta you gotta sympathize with to a degree, certainly with you know a, a woman or something who's trying to who's trying to you know who loves doing what she does and is trying to fit into and seemingly ever getting smaller niche of what you know well you, you 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 know you're a little too this for bikini but you're a little bit too this for the fitness but you, you know but if you yeah these gradations of softness have got to be very challenging i mean imagine if you were a female competitor there's a thought and you were told you're you're too hard you're too muscular you need to put on a little body fat you'd be like well you know how do i put my finger on this floating target you know yeah that's a good way of putting it for sure well that seems like the problem throughout anything physique wise it's from year to year or even contest to contest it's totally different is it not i mean well at least with men for example the leaner the better and i know we've talked about that before unfortunately then you get body wasting instead of bodybuilding competitions yeah. but at least the idea is maximum muscularity let's call it and that's not the standard with women uh you know they can be too muscular and it it just and I know, I think once you become used to watching that, you can tell the difference between fitness versus bikini, certainly. You know? Right, right. But, yeah, it's just that there's like gradations and they're trying to define it and it, it's, like you were saying, it's subjective ultimately, so. You know, and I, I mean, I've, I've heard, as we all have, I've heard um, some horrific things over the years and if, from somebody I very much trust, um, told me that he actually heard at a top I think it was a professional uh, competition several years ago. Um, one of the judges had no experience judging the fitness um, competitors and leaned over and asked, how are we supposed to judge them? Oh, I remember and, this. Yeah, and, and it, it was something that, it was something to the effect of, well, choose the, the one you want to, you know, bang the most wins. Yeah. And yep, then, and then you just go down from there. And it was, <laughs> and I mean, that's, you know, on one side of it, it's almost comical, but from a standpoint of people, you know, us being competitors and understanding how, you know, offensive that would be if you were actually one of those women. Well, what if, um, imagine if that was applied to the men, which, by the way, when, when my wife made the comment about the girl who stuck her, her butt out the most, heaving her chest out and cocking her butt out the most, she did, in fact, win. And you know what I mean? It, it's actually a rule yeah. of thumb that works, sadly, but imagine if that was yeah. applied to men. You'd be yeah. like, talk about how objectified you'd feel. You're like, listen... I don't want to be sexy. You know how you and I, Rob, and I know Phil would fall into this too. I don't want to see some male bodybuilder get up there and start a male stripper routine. Yeah. Stop well, swiveling your damn hips. No swiveling. No swiveling. You know, I want to see some hardcore shots. Get brutal and get into it. What is yeah. wrong with you guys? And but I would think most men would be um, offended if they were purely objectified and you know there was a bunch of female judges and they were just picking who they wanted to have sex with the most. That, yeah, I mean, we, and you know what? The it's, whole sport just goes, oh, the purity is just gone. Yeah. And it makes me think that, you know, now that we're talking about it, it makes me think, and I've thought sometimes in the past, 
some of these, I mean, we like to think that, you know, um, well, you know, it's 2011, blah, blah, blah. We can, you know, separate the sex, men can separate the sex from the, but, but truthfully, I mean, we try to fool ourselves, but would it not be better if competitions were judged by women? I mean, can a man, no matter how much he's trying, even subconsciously not to a degree, you know, base his opinions on, on the attractiveness of a Well, I can almost see that in, in a bikini competition. But if I mean, fitness competitions are, in fact, what bodybuilding used to be. Yeah, but you know what? Again, you're looking, you're looking at attractive, you know, generally, certainly very fit, um, you know, women, young women, dancing around, posing in, you know, uh, skimpy bathing suits, posing suits, thongs, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, do, a lot of their posing routines, you know, include poses and moves that are quite suggestive. Uh, oh, well, no doubt. I, I mean, either by design or not. You'd have to be dead not to at least say well, yes. Well, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. I mean, it, and yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. Even if a man is consciously trying to not have that sway him at all, is it, is it really? I have, I can look at a, 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 a woman's physique and be super impressed by it mm-hmm. and not attracted to it. And you know what I mean? Oh, or, well, I mean, well, yeah, of course, it's the same thing with male bodybuilding, right? I mean, people are into it. You can say, well, the guy's got a beautiful body. And I mean, another bodybuilder realizes that you're not necessarily saying that you want sex with the guy. You're just saying, you know, you're, you're looking objectively at, at the art of the person's physique. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Of course you can. You can do that. But I'm just saying in the final analysis, if, if there isn't at least a subconscious you know, uh, motivation to... Well, know, let's put it this way. i rather train with one of the chicks that I respect, and they're moving some serious iron. You know, they've got some very impressive body parts, and I'm not really attracted to them at all. I'd rather train with them, you know what I mean, than yeah. training with a fitness competitor who's really good at heaving and cocking and, uh, you know, and just being sexy. Because if anything, you've, and we've all heard this before, that just becomes a distraction. Oh, yeah. You know, I think I think what we're missing, though, is that... You know, these categories come about, in the end, the Olympia is about making money. And it's about attracting people to come to it. Mm-hmm. And probably 85, 90% plus of those people are men. And sex sells. So, you know, oh, yeah. you know yeah. they're looking to get people to come and they're trying to give them a show. It's interesting that you say that because that, makes the, that makes the female competitions not even about the females anymore. It's about, the, it's it? about the money. It's about the men. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Well, and I, maybe the male part is too. I mean, the guys want to come and see who's the biggest, most jacked dude there, and yeah, you know, that's well. All you have to do is walk around the Arnold Expo or the Mr. Olympia Expo, and just uh, you know, eavesdrop on any of the thousands of males that are standing around the booths. Oh, where right. the demographic yeah, is clearly com- right, like sixteen yes. to forty-year-old men. And listen to the commentary, and look at the guys all trying to do their little sneaky. Videotape, um, videotaping, and, and cameras on the chicks on different angles, and exactly. I mean it, it's it's like it feels dead on. I mean it's all yeah. about selling the sex. I mean it, the whole show is the whole thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That was like at that. Oh man, Lonnie, you got to remember this. At the uh, we went to the ISSN, and the one company brought booth babes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to an event with a bunch Way of professors of and coaches, right? You're like, oh, oh, faux pas. <laughs> Not here, please. You yeah. Know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Well, well, you yeah, and and of course you're right, Phil. I, I guess my point was, you know, when I say the purity of it, I, I like yeah. to think that these are still, in fact, competitions, and they don't no, they don't go they the be. route that like the WWE did. Yes. You yeah. know, or WWF, right? Or WBF? Jesus, I can't even remember. But you know what I'm oh, talking w- about. Oh, WBF, yeah. Yeah, the WBF. So now, out. Do, you, do you guys remember the name Art Atwood? That sounds familiar. Yeah, he, he was a professional bodybuilder. Um, I think he's from, I believe he's from Texas. I'm probably going to make all sorts of um, um, mistakes here. But I think he's from Texas. But anyway, the point being is uh, he died a few, days, a few days ago. I think he was only 37 years old. Oh. Um, now he's been, um, I guess, kind of forced retired for several years. He was involved in a huge uh, drug bust that took place down there a few years ago. He was implicated in, in it. And again, the details for I, I'm not really onto the details, so I'm not going to implicate this guy in something. That I, but I do know that he was wrapped up in a, a big bust that took place, and um, 
I don't know if that was what kind of pushed him away from you know competing, or if he just chose not to, or if this what the sentence was or whatever. But um, by all accounts, as it stands now, apparently he I don't know he was walking by some pool in his apartment complex or something, and he had a massive heart attack and fell into the pool. Um, and oh, it was wow. dead by the time you know it was only seconds later they pulled him out and he was already dead. So again, I'm sure I'm sure I got all that kind of um, misinformation going there. But yeah, he is dead. Um, he was late 30s, um, you know, ex-IFBB pro bodybuilder, and yeah, pretty sad. But it seems a lot of these guys, I mean, there was a guy just a few weeks before that, another, uh, you know, pretty well-known bodybuilder that, that uh, died. So, I don't know. You know, and of course, the the rumor mill has things swirling where people are saying that he was, you know, this art, art guy was heavily into uh, recreational drugs as well and a heavy partier. And again, this is all speculation. Certainly none of us at Iron Radio here are suggesting that he did or he did not we're all just well or they'll, they'll be the ridiculous speculation over the s word oh know? of course uh, yeah uh, you know for sure there will be um so yeah but that that's sad certainly and, and lots of people online that where i was looking at it were saying that they actually knew the guy and he uh you know he was decent so who knows who knows i i never i don't believe i've ever met the guy so but he was one of those kind of freakish Big guys. Um, yeah, looking that, at pictures right here. Yeah, you, he, you were pretty right. He's 37 years old. Died on September 11th. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, that, that's spanking news right there. Brand new. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you know, uh, certainly condolences to uh, his family and friends. I'm, like I said, we didn't Absolutely. know the man. We did. We didn't know what he was involved in, but uh, <laughs> certainly that's a young age to die. And uh, you know, um, yeah. So sorry okay. about that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, yeah, there's that's. Dude, we've been going on about industry news a lot. I want to squeeze in just a little bit of um, uh, nutrition news here uh, before we get to our break and our topic of the day. Which, by the way, our topic of the day is going to be related to a re- recent topic. Yeah. And it's it's basically about how do I choose how many days a week I take off. Uh, yeah, or, or just yeah, or layoffs in general. And I think I think we could even consider this like a part two to our overtraining um, right. topic that we had a couple weeks ago for those who uh, listened to that. So. Right, but before we do that, just quickly here, and these are this this is a news bit that you may or may not have heard about. But back in July, the FDA issued what was called draft guidance for industry uh, and dietary supplements. So there's new dietary ingredient notifications and related issues. That's literally what the FDA document's called. The idea here, and I think if you want to get a a an educated um, uh, version of this. Uh, I would check out the uh, Mercola website. Dr. Mercola is, I consider him a little radical on, on a few things, um, but the longer I'm in the industry, the healthcare and nutrition industry, uh, and the more I'm aware of different, you know, teaching pre-med students and, uh, you know, big drug companies, I, a lot of what this guy says is at least worth a listen. And this is called Red Alert, the FDA set to ban your supplements. And he's got a 14-minute video on his site. So if you were just to type in Mercola uh, Red Alert FDA ban, uh, let me just show you what his take on this is just quickly. The FDA has issued a proposed mandate, and I was just reading straight from it uh, from the FDA website, um, a proposed mandate that represents the greatest threat to dietary supplements since 1994. Back in the early 1990s, consumers were so alarmed by FDA bullying that they staged a massive revolt Again, strong language here, but this is more or less um, correct, I think, uh, historically. The result was that Congress passed a, a law prohibiting the FDA from banning popular nutrients, as the agency had threatened to do. So if people aren't familiar, the Deshay Law, the Dietary Supplement Health Education Act, it really created a lot of liberalness in uh, access to different dietary supplements. And now the FDA is trying to follow... Uh, sort of a loophole to get more control over this. And, of course, Mercola is just railing against the man about how big drug companies want to be able to control this. And I'll tell you, uh, an obvious example that jumped to my mind would be fish oils, for example. If the FDA gets greater control, I much, you know, it would be very scary because I much rather take some fish oils to enhance my mood or reduce inflammation than be on a bunch of antidepressant meds that are going to make me impotent and fat. I'm serious. Um, so the whole idea is that drug companies are very much 
you know, sort of in these big conglomerations with politics. And if you think about it, you hear about uh, this sort of thing in politics all the time that, you know, are, um, are we giving too many tips of the hat to big industry like oil companies, you know, too many tax loopholes, too many benefits. And in a lot of ways, drug companies are like this. And I think a lot of people, if you think about back when you were kids, uh, listeners, there weren't dozens of drug ads straight to the consumer on TV. Pharmaceutical sales reps, they went to the physicians, and now they're going straight to you. And they're doing things like lowering more and more the, the cholesterol, healthy cholesterol level, you know, from 240 to 220. Now under 200 is healthy. Well, what if they make it 180? Well, soon everybody's going to be on expensive statin drugs, and I can see drug companies loving that stuff, right? Wow. Wow. So, but anyway, it, now that's just an example, but it, just to read it, read from this here, it says, it's been 17 years, but the FDA just issued draconian proposals as to how it intends to regulate what it now calls new dietary ingredients. And you can find this, there's an FDA draft uh, guidance, again, uh, document online. There's a link on this Mercola webpage. But uh, if implemented, some of the most effective nutrients you are taking will be removed from the market. This includes many fish oil formulas oh, and natural plant extracts. Um, so it, it, it continues down here at the bottom, and I'm just reading you little portions of this, but um, the FDA's new guidelines are so flawed that even nutrients shown to be completely safe in hundreds of human clinical studies would would fail to uh, accommodate the unreasonable safety margins. To give you an example, each manufacturer of certain fish oils would have to conduct a one-year study. Now, we both know that research from some of these smaller dietary supplement companies is not going to happen. Uh, drug companies can afford five-year protocols that are cost umpteen million dollars because they have that kind of money. But dietary supplement companies typically don't. But it says they'd be forced to um, conduct a one-year study where animals would have to consume the human equivalent of 240 grams a day of fish oil. Now, nobody does it. Even Phil doesn't. Do it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Another oh. option under the FDA's proposed mandate is to conduct a 90-day thousand-fold safety margin study in which two species of animals, one being non-rodent and likely young beagle dogs, would theoretically consume the equivalent of 2.4 million milligrams of fish oil daily. Now, that says, could kill you, could it not? Well, I mean, it's going to thin well, your blood I think that's so much. what the FDA is getting at. It, uh, it says, note, typical dose of EPA and DHA you know, is about two, two and a half grams a day. Um, so, again, there's this hundredfold markup. But the whole idea is the original Dichet law, uh, very liberal. Uh, people had a lot of choices. Healthcare professionals actually had to give a lot of advice. I've given a lot of advice, as I'm sure you guys have, to people before about, you know, what is creatine? What's the literature about that? What, what do we know about fish oils or whey protein or, you know, those kinds of things? So, uh, but basically new ingredients that have been introduced, you know, in the last 17 years or so would be much more tightly controlled. And like I said, there's these sort of, uh, safety studies imposed and, and that sort of thing. So, um, Mercola on this website, he's got a big tab that says contact your local representative now. And again, one of the reasons I like this guy, and again, he's a bit radical at times, so when you listen, you can brace yourself, but he does, he gives you very sane advice about how to do this. Don't get emotional, state about, imagine the economic loss in an umpteen billion dollar a year industry like the dietary supplement industry. There'd be a yeah. massive economic toll to this. Um, you know, in, have in a to lot of rely ways, on of, drugs. Imagine yeah. going to the doctor every time you needed the slightest thing, or even a vitamin or an amino acid, because the FDA has been interested in that regulation in the past. You know, as usual, the the government just can't seem to. Well, your government, my government, they just can't seem to get anything right. It, it, it's, it's it's either a total failure or is a complete knee jerk reaction that you know. Because I mean, it, it, certainly, I don't think any of us is going to argue that. You know, certain segments of the, you know, the dietary supplement, fitness supplement field needs to be regulated to a degree. True. Uh, it's, certainly there's many people becoming <laughs> extraordinarily wealthy. Um, and we, we talked about this on the show a few weeks ago. But there are some regulations, right? Already, right, a right. lot of food substances like fish oils are a perfect example. They're been, they've been shown repeatedly to help with minor depression or right. inflammation. Arthritic people can get off or at least partly off their anti-inflammatory meds that are damaging their stomach lining or something. But there's already guidelines that you can't 
say that a dietary supplement cures a disease or you know prevents or treats a disease because that's the purview of drugs. Yeah, but, yeah. So there's yeah, it's already regulated. So it's just it's just like I say, man. The governments just seem can't seem to get anything right. Um, it seems about money and power. Yeah, exactly. Money that's and power. That's money. They're not making any money, so. Um, yeah. And the and I'll tell you too. And they are masterful at making people feel guilty or dirty somehow, or or, or kind of putting the dietary supplement industry out there is very shady. And they'll use the worst possible examples <laughs> instead of companies that are trying to do it right. And let's face it, there's the bodybuilding industry may be one of the most offender, big offenders, the biggest offender. Uh, because of all the stuff about you know ridiculous claims like misusing percentages about you know two thousand four hundred percent better than creatine. I remember T-shirts and all that kind of stuff. I mean, this yeah, kind of yeah. stuff is purposely misleading. Um, but yeah, I would I would urge people if you are interested in keeping access to dietary supplements, a pushback with a letter to your representative. And again, there's actually a template letter on this Mercola website. Um, you know, he's talked about FDA tyranny and all this kind of stuff. I mean, he really, he's really getting, you know, um, aggressive here with some of this, but he does give some good advice, I think, to the layperson who might have a knee-jerk reaction, but instead you talk about your concern about the economic loss to the, to the U.S. It's already in an economic, you know, disaster. You're talking about personal freedoms, how you or family members have benefited from this or that dietary supplement, but you know, it's very rational advice, I think, that yeah. he's offering yeah. on how to get through by sending a letter, not so much an email because they'll just delete it, but you send a letter and he's got a template and everything. And he's not the only one talking about this, but uh, I think consumers do that are listening. You've got to get familiar with some of these websites. I mean, the FDA uh, and some of their sites, there are groups like, uh, you know, uh, the Office of Dietary Supplements. The government actually has the ODS. And I would suggest people go look at the Office of Dietary Supplements. It's government, yes, but it's not automatically pointing fingers and shame on you and you don't know what you're doing. It's basically an evidence library, you know. Uh, and there there are sites like that where you can go find out what you can or even just, you know, the National Library of Medicine and PubMed. And a lot of that's hardcore research, but you can still look at the researchers' conclusions at the bottom of different paragraphs, um, you know, type in search terms. Uh, but I would suggest people do that because if we're if we don't kind of push back a little, like you said, Rob, then the government just sets up Almost whatever rules they want, uh, and you know I've been watching politics more and more lately. I pro- it just all it does is piss me off to be honest. But uh, <laughs> but you, you start to realize that all these people have agendas, they have lobbying groups, and mm-hmm. they heavily influence the laws that we have to follow. And you know you, you've got to stand up for what you believe in. I think sometimes. Yeah. Sure. All right. All right. Yeah. I guess we should probably take a break quickly and then uh, come back with our uh, what 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 I said was. Basically, a, a you know a, a part two of of what we were discussing a couple of weeks ago about the whole overtraining thing, and we'll talk about um, you know uh, layoffs, days off, and all that type of thing, and you know what, what are the ramifications of doing these types of things, and some of the uh, um, myths that sur- surround such things. So, yeah, good, uh, right. What what really happens, and what are the time frames? I think we can help with. Yeah. So we'll be back in uh, just a minute uh, after these short messages. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on iRadio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. 
So go for it. Welcome back, listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry and Rob Fortney and Phil Stevens. And the topic for today is time off. Like, how much time off? How do you plan it? Uh, what really happens when you take time off? And I'm just going to bring up something briefly that we were chatting about before we started recording, which is I've actually been part of studies, university studies, where uh, resistance trainers, the group I usually look at, we can't even get them to stay oftentimes in a study simply because we ask them to take three days off before a certain blood test or urine test or something. Right. You know, and this is um, this is a little irrational. And I think some of you even know it. They're like, I know it's crazy, but I just can't. No way. Yeah. You know, and they can't even take three days off before some kind of testing. So and that's part of the reason I think that, you know, we need to have a discussion like this and, and, and you know, how we plan it and. And, you know, Rob, you and I often, and Phil too, we've always talked about what do you really lose over a course of a couple of days or even a couple of weeks, yeah. right? And yeah. so. Well, I mean, and again, a lot of this has to be um, put in the context of who is the person lifting, yeah. how much experience do they have, um, you know, like what kind of training do they normally engage in? Um, all these types of things, because certainly there's a difference between somebody who's kind of a half-ass, kind of sporadic, show up at the gym whenever kind of guy who's been, you know, who really doesn't have much under his belt, and when he is there, he kind of he talks on the cell phone for twenty, you know, for twenty of the half an hour that he's there, and the rest of the time he sits on a preacher machine. I mean, you know, versus the guy who, you know, like us, who actually, you know, meat potatoes, hardcore, you know, consistent, um, you know, doing things, you know, as properly as one can kind of do things. Um, and, you know, and having trained for several years and, and deciding at some point that, you know, um, a, a certain given period of time is actually beneficial. Um, so again, it, these things really have to be defined because, because again, you'll find that the people who are most apt to want to, um, take all sorts of time off are the ones who are so sporadic and inconsistent in their training anyway. Or they'll yeah, rationalize. Sometimes yeah. it's ra- like we had an episode, oh gosh, ages ago about the intangibles of training and developing, you know, these intangibles. And one of them is, am I too burnt to leave? You know, yeah. and I would think most beginners, unless you've been at it for quite some time, I wouldn't really recommend that you walk into the gym. You're like, oh, it's not, it's just not happening. And then jet. Cause you know, I know Rob, you right. said that there's been rare, we're talking about very rare times when this happens, but obviously if you're ill, Get your ass out of the gym. You know, you're not going to do any. But again, sometimes discipline can backfire. Yeah. You know? yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You have to have, I mean, consistency in that. I always say consistency above all. But again, like you say, the dedication that, you know, um, allows one to be that consist, um, consistent sometimes, like you say, does backfire and becomes your enemy. Um, and certainly what you're saying about, you know, your experiences with, uh, test, potential test subjects in, in, you know, in studies, um, who, you know, have a hard time taking three days off, uh, training, um, if, you know, if, if that, it gets so absurd that, and, and you know, I don't, I can speak, only speak for myself, but certainly I know what that is like because, you know, if I was 18 or 19, I would think, oh, you know, I, I can't miss, um, a week of training, you know, I'll, 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 be so far behind the eight ball when I get back, and I'll lose this and I'll lose that. And you know, it's as the years go on, you think to your, you know, you really come to understand that, you know, if you do know what you're doing, to you know, to a, a degree at least, and you do it um, by design and you know, with with some sort of idea of how it should be done and when it should be done and, and the, the, the sincerity of having of doing it. That in the long run, really, you, you'll benefit in so many, so many different ways. And, and uh, again, we were talking about this before we started the recording thing, and I was even bringing up the psychological benefits of doing these types of things. Right. Well, if I can just, and I might have mentioned this in a pre- or previous episode, but unlike endurance athletes who will lose mitochondrial density, you know, the sort of endurance machinery, if you will, the furnaces in all their cells, literally on a day-to-day basis, weight trainers don't lose you know, thousands of grams of muscle tissue every day. It, it'd be more like uh, 20 <laughs> grams a day, <laughs> right. you know. So it, it, worrying about size loss, if you do think, oh, there's no way, Dr. L, I lose size. Listen, 
when you take some time off, you may actually lose a little bit of the, the muscle's ability to store glycogen. So they might be a little less full. You might have a little less irritation. So you might, again, be a little less full or, or you know, um, bulbous looking. Right, you know? right. But your strength is not down. You're not yeah. badly detraining. The nervous system, I think, for most guys who are used to four, five, six days a week of training, they they could benefit from up to a week off more. It, it should be more of a benefit than a harm, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But now let's talk about minimum because I, I know, like Phil, you've been going through a rough spell of training and life, you know, moves and oh, stuff. Yeah. And so I mean, uh, what do you think's a minimum? Days in the week? Yeah, like to, to train. to maintain or versus progress or, right. I think you can get by great on two days. Oh, yeah. You know, two days, no problem. I mean, I think even maybe maybe maintain-wise, I mean, if you go in and you hit it and you hit it hard one day a week. I was going to say, to maintain, you if, you, if you're intermediate and up, I think that certainly at that point you would assume that the person has a – Fairly good grasp on on training. Of course, we're probably talking several years at least before you could you know consider yourself a intermediate. Probably, um, you know, I, I think for sure you could probably um, train one day a week easily. Yeah. In me, I, I I can only speak for myself on this, but I have no doubt, no doubt that I can maintain my certain yeah. current size and strength with one day a week. Well, I'm actually doing that right now. I've got this sort of lingering uh, cough thing. And, you know, I got a, I, when I was back in Ohio, I, I did a, you know, a squat workout that really got me sore. And then it, it was a whole week before I went in. But, you know, I'm doing like a low rack pulls and yeah. some seated cable rows and some overhead presses. I did a couple of power cleans. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how when I look in the mirror, I'm like, I can't, I'm not getting any smaller. Now, yeah. again, we're talking about, yeah, beginner or not beginners, but intermediate to advanced people probably. But well, I think certainly you know, maintain two a week. Yeah. From, oh, yeah. From, from, from if not advanced. Yeah. You know, coming from a background of the magazines as, as you know, and journalists, I can tell you right now that I think, and this is, I'm a guy who loves magazines. I mean, it's it's kind of my career background, but um, I think the muscle magazines over the decades have done more to harm people's interpretations of what should be done in, in progressive resistance weight training for the average person. Um, then it's done any sort of good. I mean, you know, I grew up certainly with the idea that, you know, if you're a bodybuilder, you train, you know, five, six days a week. Um, you know, and as I've gotten older and more experienced and, and, you know, seen more, uh, you know, observed more people, it's, it, it's irrefutable that, that that's just absolutely asinine. Actually, Rob, you're making me think of a guest we had recently, um, where his workout split was a different body part every day. And if you do that, you know, I, I guess to each his own, I wouldn't do it that way. But, yeah, if you set up your workouts in such a way where you're hitting, like, two major groups in a body part split, you know, or if you're powerlifting, you're actually movement-focused, you know, yeah. exercise-focused, then it's much less of an issue. I could see that if you're – if you got a – if you go in one day and it's nothing but biceps – yeah. You know, then you've you've missed stimulating that muscle group this week, I guess. I mean, except for your back work uh, day, but so part of it, I guess, depends on your split as well. As well, you know, like you're talking about, like when we go into the gym, we do compound movements. They're fairly heavy. I mean, look what low rack pulls or overhead presses are going to do, as opposed to calf raises and leg extensions. Oh, well, that's you know? the whole thing, and that's why I always tell people. I mean. People always say, when I actually tell young guys, you know, like a 19, 20-year-old guy at the gym, you know, he'll say, oh, how many days a week should I train? And I always say, you know, three or four max. Yeah. And if you're training, you know, with within a certain guideline of, you know, the proper percentage of, you know, multi-joint movements versus isolation movements, I can't see that an average guy who's healthy um, and reasonably athletic and not on drugs could do more than that. Yeah, you know, collectively, I, I agree. I think collectively, most most uh, middle level to advanced people are training too much too often. Yeah, they're doing they're doing more bad than good, and it's uh, you know this this stuff's come up to me lately. I had I had the competition here on my first competition at my gym, and I'm training a, a guy that um, he's been into it for a few years, 
And the competition was Saturday. He called me Friday, and he's like, "Okay, what are we doing in the gym today?" I said, "You're not, you're not doing nothing." Right? Yeah. You know, you got to compete tomorrow. He's like, "Well, I got to get a good workout, and I got to get stronger for tomorrow." Wow. Yeah, I actually. And it's like, whoa. You know? Absolutely. We we talk about that. There's a class that I've taught before called Advanced Fitness Programming, and one of the things that I expect, and I kind of let the students decide if they're going to mention this or not. About tapering before a competition, you know. Of course you do that. But let's talk about that. So how do you guys, how do you guys do that? Like Rob, with your competition coming up, um, how are you going to back off as it, as it, you know, barrels toward you that date? Well, you know, the thing is, is when you're in the last certain in powerlifting, when, and I'm sure Phil will agree with me, when you, your percentages are, you know, the last several weeks are becoming so much higher that I mean, there's there's a, tons of different ways you can format it, but I've my whole thinking and my experience in competing in powerlifting is very minimal. But the way I've always observed other people doing it and so forth is, it makes sense to me that you would, as you're getting heavier and heavier and heavier, you're actually placing more and more emphasis on not being in the gym. Um, so it's almost like a deloading thing, but not deloading because you're actually uploading, but you're, you know, but you're allowing yourself ever increasing amounts of time not to be lifting. Um, you know, and, and like I say, right now I'm kind of staggering it the last several yeah. weeks, you know, so because I mean, my percentages this week and the next few weeks that I'm training for the, the meet are going to be all over 80%. And I don't want to be over 80%, like, you know, for five weeks in a row. I mean, there's well, what no about way- those last two, Rob? Like, well, the last Are you two gonna months, week? Last two weeks, essentially nothing. I'll go in and I'll probably just hit a couple like ridiculous like two twenty five sets of squats for like a set of five or something. Maybe do like some light 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 dumbbell presses, like forty pound dumbbells, just to kind of keep the pattern going, you know. And Still, keep the, what about you? I mean, same same thing. No, I think I think that's correct. And I think the thing that people don't grasp is, you know, say I, I have a meet next month. It's my training from four months ago that's going to be expressing it in this in this meet, not the stuff I do from now until that meet. You know, training it's always a month or two behind of where you're actually at. You know, you're you're healing, recovering, and starting to express that training from three, four, five months ago um, that has built up. And it's you know those last few weeks I think like Rob's talking about as you're getting heavier you know you're dropping the you're dropping the volume you're raising the intensity up you can't you can't go long and hard at the same time without just getting burnt out. No. Uh, and then you know all all you're doing the last few weeks is you know your number one priority is to be able to express the strength that you actually have and the only way to do that is become 100% recovered. Yeah. Yeah. If not, you're just coming in there and you're half more out running on seven cylinders or something. I think both of you guys are sort of illustrating the time frame too that, you know, nobody's getting significantly weaker over just no. a couple of weeks. If anything, no, you're going to get fresher. Exactly. Especially if you've been hitting it hard for six, seven months. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Well, even last, I think it was last week, Phil, you said something, or the week before, you said something that was like, you know, you were saying that sometimes, you know, your best deadlift came off of basically, you know, Pulling away from deadlifts for several weeks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and oh, for yeah. I mean, for a meet, my last deadlift is my last heavy pull is like four to six weeks out. Wow. And oh, you know, then it's just killing lighter weight. So yeah. yeah, psychologically though, you're still doing the pull to feel the movement, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'll hit some heavier rack work partials, like high, high partials, just to like above my knee type stuff. That that's easy, but I'm still feeling the weight, but it doesn't doesn't kill me. So, um, I think that's it. And, you know, the conversations I've been getting in is, is, is like that lately with that, with that person. And then also, then you have new people. You know, I, I have eight people now, I think, or, or more that are in my new facility that are literally, you know, they're in week two of training ever. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I can bring them in. We can come in every single day if they want to. And just because right now they're, they're just learning how to move. Yeah, and I'm not doing enough damage, and the damage I do, it their their margins are so small. You know, their their margins of their book are about the width of a pencil. Mm-hmm. So they step out of it; it only takes a second to step back in. Um, yeah. Whereas someone like myself or you, you know, if we do, it takes us so much work to get outside there, and it takes us so much longer to get back in. But then at a point, I tell them, okay, we got to start knocking days off because you're not recovering. Right, um, and I, I think that's part of the rule for choosing days off is. 
don't make the mistake that it's just body part specific, that there's the central drive, yeah. central nervous system. And powerlifters have always been better at that than bodybuilders. And again, when I, that's why when I hear bodybuilders do a different muscle group every day, it's like, okay, if you're training with super intensity, even if it's a fairly small muscle group, like you're just doing arms today or biceps or yeah. whatever, you're sort of, at least in my estimation, you're overtaxing your central nervous system oh, unnecessarily. Yeah. yeah. You know? You're, you're doing damage to the, to the other parts of your body aside from the muscle. And I don't, I don't, I think you're right that powerlifters and athletes kind of get that more. And I think this whole deloading thing is, is something that's come up a bit more. Uh, it's, it's not seen in, I don't know what, what I'd call the fitness community. It's the, the, those people that, I don't know, they just think going in every day is the thing to do. Um, and it's, it's hard to get people to take, I, I was battling with a client and, um, to take a week off. And yeah. luckily they trust me. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to do it, but it's hard. And I was like, well, it should be hard. But this person, I purposely kind of programmed them to to reach an overreaching point. And then those last two weeks, they're like, oh, if I'm kind of losing my appetite, my weight's starting to drop a bit, and things are feeling heavy, what's wrong with me? I was like, well, you know, I got you deadlifting every single day. <laughs> right. <laughs> they shouldn't feel better. Right. Um, and uh, so and then now it's time to, to back off and Let's recover and see if we can't get that rebound effect and, and see what we got going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, there's. I, I had comments because I put something up today, and you know, I think CrossFit with all the great things it's done, it's you know one thing that Glassman pushes, and somebody came on with that concept is that, you know 100% every day for three on one off and just indefinitely. And I'm telling you, you can't. You cannot go 100% every day. Right. It's just not. You're gonna run out, or you're gonna. Your hundred percent is only gonna be eighty-five percent or eighty percent. It's like that classic. The classic physiology, you know, that Hans Selye, the whole general adaptation syndrome, where you know there's an alarm stage, and you know maybe that's where you're overreaching purposely for a week or two. Yeah. And then, but then you know there's. um, a resistant stage, your body's making all of these accommodations, your nervous system, your endocrine system, because of course your nerves and your hormones are very linked. Yeah. And then finally exhaustion. And in our case, what we're trying to avoid is overtraining syndrome, where you're just ruined for weeks on end with mono-like symptoms and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, and I think it's, I think it's also worth pointing out what Phil was just saying about the whole concept of going 100%. People – a lot of people seem to think that 100% means that you're always lifting – um, your heaviest weight for, you know, for like, uh, you know, going to your absolute strength. 100% is basically just working within 100% whatever rep range or percentage wise you're working in. Yeah. I mean, just because you're working at 65%, you know, but doing, you know, whatever, five sets of 10 or whatever, doesn't mean necessarily that you're still not working at 100%. 100% is just, you know, uh, it, it has nothing really to do with how much weight you're using or, or but rather, you know, the effort or like Lonnie yes. always says, your perceived level of effort with w- within the... Yeah. W- and, and you know what, Rob? Yeah. Right. That's what we have to define, right? Intensity to a layperson could mean perceived effort. Like, I always give it 100%. But you're flipping back and forth there, and I think wisely so, but you're illustrating that, A, there's the perceived effort of giving 100%, but real intensity it, from our, for our exercise physiologist, is percent of your one repetition maximum yeah. or percent of your VO2 max or maybe heart rate max or something like that for an aerobic athlete. So that's intensity. Intensity is at what percentage of your supreme yeah. output, power output, are you doing? Not yes. some psychological notion of I'm giving it my all. Yes, you right. Know? And right. that's that's why I think things are flawed. And people, you know, I, there's whole groups of people that think you if you're not – on the verge of puking and crawling out of the gym every day you go in, you're doing yourself a disservice. And I just, I don't buy that. I don't know anybody that's strong. I don't know any athlete that is at the top level that goes in the gym and just purposely kicks their own butt and, and has to be pulled out of the gym. Right. It's not how you make progress. It's how you get injured and stall out. Well, I, I, I admit, um, I'm guilty at probably overdoing it. Given the choice, I will tend to overdo it in the gym oh, yeah, and try absolutely. to go balls of the wall. But just to give people numbers... is somewhere around four repetitions. I mean, let's talk about like intermediate guys or something. If you look in textbooks, 80% is about eight reps, you know. So, again, you're not going to do – I don't think it's probably a great idea to do a dozen sets of 
90%. You know, when your, when your intensity goes up, like you said, you've got to make the workout shorter or less frequent. You, it's got to be one or the other. You can't have intensity and duration or intensity and frequency, uh, at the same time. And that's why, and hence, you know, we're deciding, hey, two days a week is, is okay. One a week could probably maintain. Two, you can maintain, maybe make a little progress. Maybe ideally it's three or four days a week. But honestly, for maximum size, unless you've got some specific competitive goal coming up, I don't really ever see a reason for training five or six days a week in strength no. sports. No, you know? and and no. the only people who would even kind of make pro, you know substantial progress with that are again, as we always say, the guys who are heavily supplementing, you know, um, supplementing yeah. in quotations. But I mean, it's, I think it's very telling that when you look at. A lot of the old-time strongmen, old, you know, the, the the classic legendary powerlifters. I'm not talking about 20 years ago. I'm talking about 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and I know Phil knows what I'm talking about. These guys, oftentimes, when you read what their training schedule would be, they'd be like twice a week. Yeah. You know, now some of them would go in. You know, each of those one or two days a week, they'd go in. The, the session might be four hours long. Yeah. But they weren't in the gyms more than two or three times a week. It's a Absolutely. good example, Rob, because they were also eating like men. Somebody oh, said yeah. meat and potatoes recently. And these, and, and yeah. I know everybody likes to say, well, look at the difference between the guys, what they're lifting today and what the guys. Hey, you know what? It's a lot less of a divide um, than a lot of people think because of, you know, again, advancements in drugs and hormone uh, and equipment, lifting equipment and all this type of thing. Uh, those guys were strong. You know, when you're talking about guys like those powerlifter guys from the 50s and 60s, make no mistake, they were every bit, you know, the beasts yeah. that the guys oh, are today. Yeah. They were just operating with without certain advantages that you know available to them. So again, it's 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 not a simple case of just saying, well, yeah, but they didn't know what they were doing. Trust me, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, because they didn't have the advantages today that a lot of you know um, strength athletes have. They actually probably knew a lot more because yeah. they didn't have to, they didn't have those things those superficial. No, you're super- right. The technology sometimes it, it creates analysis paralysis. You know, if you're nibbling protein bars and you're expecting to train your butt off like those old school guys, you're not going to survive. And I mean, look at it honestly. I mean, who who do you think we're all modeling ourselves after right now? It, it's the it's the lessons from those guys 30, 40 years ago that are really being taken into consideration now yeah you know the, the the you know the late great paul anderson's and stuff like that yeah, i mean exactly. he's, a, he's a great example you know they say he never was able to reach his prime because he went on that damn road show and he was expected to work at near 100 percent every day yeah and he you know that's when his progress stalled and who knows what he could have been if he could have trained the way he did before that and, and had rest days yeah. Right, sleep. You know. Yeah, get get enough sleep. <laughs> you, know. you know, we were joking about that earlier. Unfortunately, I had to edit some of that out of one of our episodes. But we were talking, joking about getting ten to twelve hours sleep. Just you know, every once in a while and catch up. Eat big, sleep big, so you can train big. It's. it's I think it's a. You know, yeah. Oh yeah. I th- and I think it's a. We all go through that phase, and I'm seeing it more and more. I think you guys probably have to, and in, in yourselves and others. There's that phase when you first begin where you're just, wow, it's you know you're in the gym every day, and then it's. You know, that continues on for a while, and it seems as we age, we learn a bit more, and you're seeing more and more people back off, and it's it's coming to light a bit more now. People like Jim Windler, now they're pushing the, I want to see just how little I can do and make the most progress. Right, well, that's really to see. Yeah, yeah, I was, was going to say, isn't that isn't that the hallmark of somebody who is, um, you know, educated, wise, and, and has become ultra-proficient in what it is he does? Yeah. You try to get... The maximum that you can get from doing it as little as possible, and I know exactly. when you're a young guy, that doesn't seem very, you know, Lonnie always uses the word, but it doesn't seem very heroic when you're 20 yeah. to think in those terms. But I mean, and you know, certainly I was a masochist you know, when I was 20 years old, mm-hmm. as we all are, um, you know, and just doing outrageous things, you know. And you think, well, this is, and, and again, those things probably have benefit, certainly psychological, in later sure. years, but. But yeah, when you get to a certain level of you know maturity and experience and efficiency and proficiency, you you come to realize that. I mean, really, that's the hallmark of somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. To get everything that you expect and hope for, and to and to model, you know, that trajectory off the the least amount that you can do because it's all mileage. 
Yeah, well, think, I'll tell you. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Go ahead, Phil. I was just going to say, I think what, what's not gotten is people see, like, me, where maybe I'm hitting three days a week now. It's not that I don't want to be in the gym. Right. I love being in the gym, <laughs> but I love, I hate reaching that point where I don't want to be in the gym. And I know that happens if I go in too often and too mm-hmm. often. Right. If I, if I back off, then I, I've always got that urge. You I know, it's funny, Phil. That's, that's why I don't overdo coffee. It seems like I do, but I don't want to lose my coffee, so I'm not going to overdo it. You know, like my, my brother's, you know, he's got a little bit of hypertension and stuff like that. And he's, you know, the doctor's telling him, oh, no more coffee for you. I don't want to be there. And it's the same thing with the lifting. I don't want to not be allowed to go in the gym or not want to go in the gym. You lose something that's a, a positive part of your life, you know, and, yeah. I'm, I'm going to end with one thing because we're just about out of time. Is Rob, you talked about when you were 20. We are not just a bunch of middle-aged guys fussing about how you need more recovery because we're middle-aged now. When I was in my early 20s, there was a time where I stopped the three, four-day-a-week martial arts training practices. They were like two, three hours long, sometimes even more. Um, and all I did was lift. And I saw it with me and some of my friends. And... Um, when we cut back on the total frequency in the different sports and all we did was lift, almost every one of us put on about 20 pounds in six months of muscle mass. And yeah. so we're talking about early 20s. You know, In a sense, we were forced because for whatever it's a social reason, we weren't doing you know, track and martial arts and lifting anymore. But when it was boiled down to just the lifting three or four days a week, it was stunning how we corrected the negative energy balance, and we all got big. Because, again, otherwise you're just kind of blowing energy in 18 different directions, and you're not really going to be satisfied with anything you achieve in any one of those. No, right. I I often use the term junk reps or junk laps or junk miles. Oh, yeah. You know, you know I always think it, this is certainly going back to what um, both both you guys were saying a few minutes ago about the whole idea of like Phil was saying that you know he he knows when he's getting to a certain point because he doesn't want to be there anymore and Lonnie you're saying you know how same type of thing well and you talk about junk reps all this leads to the same thing wouldn't you want to go in the gym twice <laughs> or three times a week and 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 get the benefit of and you both know how much better you perform when you want to be there yeah you know versus Hey, you know what? I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna stick to this five days a week kind of thing, and yeah. you know, and 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 I'm just gonna push myself through this every day now. After you know the first month of this, I don't feel like going at any time. But goddamn it, I'm a warrior, and I'm gonna keep to this thing. It's like, come on, man. Talk about junk reps. All you're gonna be yeah. accumulating is junk reps, junk sessions, junk mm-hmm. weeks versus quality. I mean, quality I think always will trump quantity. So. Yep. You have to really consider that, you know, and, and, and again, that comes from a psychological thing and a physical thing, you know, just that inspiration of wanting to be there. You know, nothing yeah. can replace the positivity, you know, and, and the, the the ability to harness energy better than you just wanting to be there. Right. You can't just pour coffee on it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes take a couple of weeks off. Oh, I think I think that's a good point. I mean, if you feel like you can't, I just, I can't, I got to go, it, it's time for you to take a yeah, if you're feeling conflicted in any way, you know, in the couple hours leading up to when you're supposed to be going, that's probably a good, a good, you know, a warning shot from your body that's saying, you know what, maybe it's better we just stay home, you know, stay home and eat again, um, you know, and, and and watch that motivation. I mean, one of the biggest things for overtraining for me is always just yeah, um, like Phil was saying, it's always the same thing. It's always just I don't. You know, I love training. I love us training as much as you guys. I, I'm so I, 25 years. I've been just obsessed with it. And when I know that, I'm like, I gotta squat tonight. I mean, geez, if is there a, is there a greater you know uh, signal from your body, you know, <laughs> telling you, hey, buddy, guess what? This thing that you love, the thought of it's making you nauseous. Yeah, you're you're desensitizing. That's a classic psychology technique. You know, like you to overcome phobias, you purposely expose the person to the phobia to desensitize them. But we don't want to desensitize the gym, right? No. We want we want to love it, not be overexposed to it. So. Yeah, like when you, I mean, you know, when I say I got to squat tomorrow, whatever it is, I want to be thinking, yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't want to be thinking. Oh, I mean, look at all the things in life that you succeed in versus all the things in life that you don't succeed very well in, and and you the difference is. You know, your motivation to do it brought on by a passion and love and positivity, uh, you know, towards it. 
you know, the, the subjects in school that you did well in are probably the subjects that you enjoyed and you were into. I mean, this is, this is certainly nothing new. So, I mean, look at your training is the same way. You know, I mean, if, if you're into it, you're going to get a lot out of it. You know, if you, and if you drive yourself into the, into the ground with too much of it, like Lonnie says, desensitize yourself to it, then you're, you're probably going to be getting, again, the, that accumulation of junk reps, junk sets that turn into junk workouts, that turn into junk weeks, that junk months. And you a know, junk and body. It, yeah. it, junk body, junk lifts, trash body, uh, just endless mileage. Again, get as little yeah. mileage on your body as as is needed to get the most benefit. So, be efficient. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. All right, man. Good show. And uh, thanks for listening once again, people. And we will, uh, again, send us your emails and so forth. And uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state-of-the-art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you could hold up and say, this is what the liter literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however. Obviously, I've done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what a, perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Phil Stevens here for IronRadio.org, StrengthGuild.com, and ChadEggs.com to tell you about the Strength Refined Seminar with myself, Phil Stevens, and Chad Eggs. Saturday, September 24, 2011, CrossFit Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada. Strength Refined is a one-day course in refining your technique and proficiency in the squat, the bench, and the deadlift. It's going to be a long day. We'll squat, we'll bench, we'll deadlift, we'll do a Q&A, and then we're going to go heavy and go eat. For more information, go to www.strengthguild.com, click on the blog, go to Meets and Seminars, click on the Strength Refined Seminar, and it's all there. Hope to see you there. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.